This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast, and I am your host for this week's episode, Paul Jaisley, filling in for Mike Rappin. But of course, I am not alone. I am joined once again by the two Kates of the IRCB, Kate Lamphere. Hello. And Kate Scotchless. Hello. Uh, I think last time I hosted, it was this same group here. So it's, it's good to have the gang back together. After the month off, we have to see if I remember how to do any of this, but so far, <laughs> so good, right? <laughs> One thing I did not forget, though, was the two questions I'm legally obligated to ask at the beginning of every episode. How have you been and how have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate Lamphere. I've been good. Um, I'm still in my gardening phase, you know, middle of summer. My tomatoes are coming out. I My cherry tomatoes are not cherry tomatoes. Um, that's a surprise. <laughs> They're quite large. Okay. Um, but I have also been reading quite a few comics. I most recently read Batman Volume 1, Their Dark Designs. This is the the arc by James Tinney and the Fourth uh, on bright, uh, for the writer. And then the artists are Tony S. Daniel and Danny Mickey. I read this for the Goodreads theme of the month for may so i'm rather behind <laughs> um okay. the theme yeah. uh for for may <laughs> was the first appearance in a big two book and the character introduced in this book was the villain punchline and i want to thank aaron and the goodreads group for pointing that out because i i really enjoyed this book and i'm glad that i had a reason to read it i don't read a mm-hmm. lot of big two books but every time somebody like recommends a specific one i tend to enjoy it so i'm glad that i read this um this book is about like um there there's kind of like this uh this point in in the gotham history where batman comes to a point where things are like starting to change he's starting to like um, fund things as bruce wayne to try to improve gotham um he's working with catwoman um uh alfred has died um already by mm-hmm. by the time that the comic opens so that was sad um but then in in the the events of this comic book he's the rogues gallery the the uh the riddler the joker and the and penguin are all kind of like morally gray characters and they're not the main villains of the book but they're in it um and i found mm-hmm. that a really interesting dynamic so um, I, I enjoyed that part of it. And then the the art worked really well for me um, and for this story, other than like still the unrealistically tight costumes for the, the female characters, <laughs> Catwoman, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Harley Quinn was in this. Um, mm-hmm. But the attention to detail in the art and the textures work really well for this Batman, um, their Dark Designs volume. And then there are some short comics in the rear matter by different artists. And I didn't realize that these were prequel stories until i was a a few pages in because i was like hang on Mm -hmm. a second when this book ends batman looks much different than the than the next story (laughs) that comes up i'm like something happened here (laughs) like this is not just an (laughs) artist change um so i realized Mm -hmm. that these short stories at the end actually happened before the events of the book and they kind of like inform the decisions of all of the characters all of the many characters in this book um, so that was actually really nice. Although I, re- I wish that had, had said like prequel before, before these stories. Right. Um, and this is not, this volume one is not the end of the arc. I think that there are like three or mm-hmm. four volumes at this point. Um, and like, like I said, I don't read a lot of Batman, so I'm not really sure that I'm going to continue, but if this sticks around mm-hmm. in my head, like it has been, maybe I'll just have to have to keep going. Yeah, I remember liking that stuff when it came out. I mean, James Tinian is a really good Batman writer. Um, and I liked in that that volume, like that story, having the Joker, the Penguin, Riddler, and Catwoman kind of joined together 
is a direct reference to the 1966 Batman movie with Adam West because that's Ooh. the United Underworld is the gang that comes together in that movie. So that was a little uh, little shout out to the nerds, I think, from Tinian for that one. So, yeah, that's yeah, cool. I didn't know that. Uh, what about you, uh, Kate Scotchless? What have you been reading? Well, I have started working on the IRCB uh, reading challenge for this year, uh, getting a late start here, but I found myself in a reading rut and I was like, I know what I can do about that. Uh, so I picked up The Arrival by Sean Tan from uh, my local library, and this is the book nominated by Kate uh, Lamphere here with us, <laughs> not this Kate. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I had no idea what it was. I didn't look it up at or anything other than looking up the like number to get it at the library. And mm -hmm. I absolutely loved it. So this is um, from, what, 2006, and it's all surrealist art, no words, which is interestingly, uh, depending on who, what like media source you're looking at or awards forum, it's a children's picture book, a YA short story, or an OGN. <laughs> like no one can agree, <laughs> which yeah. conveniently <laughs> means he gets, a, he got so many awards for this, um, in all these different categories. So, but it's about the immigrant experience and in the back of the of the graphic novel, it goes into all the research he did and sources he worked out, looked into and stuff for this and uh, really explains why it's so, feels so real and true while also being so mm -hmm. fantastical and surrealist. And I love hmm. part of not having words in the comic is there's like a made up writing system in it so that you're not Okay. writing the stuff but it really gives that feel of like this this character being dropped into this world where he doesn't speak the language he doesn't read the writing and he has to figure it all out and the the and is exposed to these foods that both you and the, the character don't recognize because of course they're fantastical mm -hmm. um and just kind of like the whole the whole world is completely unique in that way and i don't know it's just the most beautiful art um, and so oh, in terms, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was a little worried. It would be, it would be, it. <laughs> it would be funny if I was like, Kate picked the worst book. No, <laughs> I, I cannot imagine us disagreeing that deeply on a book, like slight differences in taste yeah. sometimes of like, I liked it. You loved it. But I feel like we're similar enough that that could never happen. Yeah. But Fair enough. this yeah. got like a Hugo Award nominee, a Locus Award for Best Art Book. Um, it got some Picture Book of the Year awards from uh, Australia, wow. which is where Sean Tan's from. Um, it got a, uh, Aurelia, Aurelius Award for Best Young Adult Short Story. Okay. Um it got a bunch of awards I can't pronounce in Europe in, <laughs> because it's they're in German and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, just I'm not going to go through the whole list because there's so much so many, but um, very well earned. <laughs> but I think that's funny that he okay. fit all these different characters by be, uh, categories by being uh, kind of ambiguous what we we call something like this. And I don't mm -hmm. think I know of another graphic novel that is no words I, I can think of picture books like the the one what's called what tuesday or something like that the picture book that has mm -hmm. like the frogs and stuff it's another surrealist one um but it's very mm -hmm. clearly marketed and designed as a children's book whereas this is 
132 page hardcover that no child could follow. <laughs> like, um, maybe, maybe like a high school age kids, maybe a okay. pretty, pretty sophisticated middle schoolers. But I think below that, mm-hmm. you'd, you'd really be pushing, um, a child's understanding. And it's very adult themes. I mean, it's about a man going to, an- immigrating to, send money back home to his family to support them and then mm-hmm. ultimately raise enough money to get them to um, hopefully come live with them and that the isolation and loneliness and um, missing them and stuff, which is just not a, a kid's thing, you know, but yeah. Have you read yeah. this one, Paul? I mean, that, I have not, but it's going to be on my list now. Absolutely. I, I kind of like, yeah, I, I love anyone that tries to experiment and do something, you know, quote unquote silent comics without mm-hmm. words because like I think it's it's so hard to pull off and it's done well. It's really remarkable. And usually it is just a short story. There's a handful of single issues I can think of that do it, but to have yeah. a whole book, especially a book with some pretty deep themes. Like that seems pretty amazing. So yeah, this is definitely on my to read pile now. What's nice about it getting all the awards and being on every like essential graphic novels you should read list is that your library will definitely have it, which is always nice for these expensive <laughs> <true>. OGNs. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's like true. an awkwardly oversized book too. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely overdue for a trip down to the library, so that I'll have to keep an eye out for that one next time I'm there. Well, what did you read? Great question. Um, I read finally the best of 2000 AD volume three. This came out a while ago. Uh, my shop didn't get it right when it came out, so I had to wait for it, and then I wanted to sit down and really enjoy it. I've talked about these collections on previous episodes. You know, these are anthologies, collections of classic 2000 AD material. And obviously, like most people, I come to 2000 AD for Judge Dredd. Uh, and what's nice about these collections, they give you samples of the other non-Judge Dredd stories that 2000 AD has done over the years. And it's a really, really cool uh, way to get that that sort of like scope of what this anthology has meant over the years. So uh, speaking of which, this volume includes a brand new Judge Dredd story written by Michael Carroll and Mark Sexton. It's about Judge Dredd uncovering a secret division of judges that has no, you know, oversight or it's not, it's out, operates outside the jurisdiction of the rest of the judge system. So about the secret history of Mega City One going on there, which is always kind of cool to see. Uh, the other non-Dredge Dredd stories in it include Storming Heaven, which is a story by Gordon Rennie and Fraser Irving. And it's basically a psychedelic superhero story. Like the main character is someone that takes so much LSD that he gains like superpowers and he's trying to create this like you know um a a world akin to heaven here on earth where just everyone's at peace and everyone's you know uh once they've accepted and transcended their own ego they gain superpowers it's it's a very trippy and psychedelic which is perfect for fraser irving's artwork you know it's like it's Mm -hmm. all these bright colors and like you know fantastical images the story turns into something else where there's a dark aspect of the main character who's essentially a, a, a superhero version, not superhero, basically a superpowered version of Charles Manson. Obviously, it's an Oof. analogy about the 60s, you know, yeah. the, the wow. summer of love and all that. So it was a really cool story. Um, and it's nice. All the selections in this volume are all standalone stories. Unlike the previous volumes had been like, you know, the first volume of a story and you had to pick up the other collections to finish it. These are all standalone. So that one comes to a conclusion. Uh, Leviathan is a story by Ian Eddington and Disraeli. This one is really cool. And I think Kate uh, Lamphere would appreciate this story. It's a murder mystery set on a massive Titanic-like ship that's been lost at sea for 20 years. 
it's great because it kind of examines the hierarchy of the class system on the boat. Because you have the first class people are all, you know, rich, you know, established, landowning, you know, wealthy people. And then as you get lower and lower in the ship to the, to the steerage section, it's like a different class levels. And um, the detective who's investigating the murders has to transcend those worlds, you know, so you kind of get to look at like how that operates. There's a big twist when you find out exactly why the ship has been missing for 20 years, which gets pretty fantastical. But I think it's a really great story. And Israeli's artwork is like this amazing black and white, but he'll sometimes use like dark backgrounds and then have like gray line work on top of it to make everything sort of pop off the page a little bit. It's a really, really striking image when he does that in this book. My favorite uh, story in this collection is The Graveyard Shift. That's a classic Judge Dredd story written by John Wagner and Alan Grant, art by Ron Smith. I'd read this before, but it was fun to go back and reread it. It's basically one night in Mega City One, and you get to see the sense of like what exactly happens when the judges are on patrol. There's block wars, juvie gang fights. Uh, there's a mutant invasion from the cursed earth that happens. A serial killer is on the loose. There's a moment toward the end of the story where they there's a, you know, a, caption that says on average at this moment in mega city one there are 24 armed robberies 139 assaults five murders 230 traffic offenses and 0.09 riots every minute so this overwhelming scale of like what the judges deal with and it's a perfect example why i love the john wagner and alan grant judge dread stories this story is so well paced it's like it starts off it's like oh it's night mega city one and then something else happens in every chapter almost every page like something different is happening and the story somehow feels like huge and crazy but it's also just well paced and self-contained it's just a really compelling way to write a story and it also you know examines the fact that all of the problems in mega city one are usually caused by the judges themselves they're never solving anything there's reacting to what's happening and what's happening is usually their fault uh, but it does have one of my favorite judge dread lines in it there's a scene where one of the mega blocks is like burning down so a bunch of other citizens bring out hot dogs on sticks to roast them <laughs> over the burning oh, wow. building savage <laughs> um that's what you do in mega city one mm-hmm. you know uh and then J- judge dread rolls up and says hey you're blocking the street got to get out of the street guys and uh, this one citizen just says oh you can't tell me what to do it's a free city and Judge Dredd just says, yeah, you're free, free to do what you're told. And the guy like runs wow. away. So it's pretty, pretty great. Um, and I, again, I love classic Judge Dredd because it's very funny, but it's also very dark humor. Um, it's great stuff. So yeah, if you're going to read one great Judge Dredd story, that is the graveyard shift in this collection. So again, best of 2000 AD. This is the third volume and I'm loving every single one. So I don't know how many volumes I've planned. I think six in total, but man. Everyone has been great so far. So this actually does sound like something I might read. I haven't read. I don't think I've read any <laughs> of these. Maybe one Judge Dread book okay. before on your recommendation. Yeah. So maybe this will be the second one. Yeah. I mean, again, I like all the volumes, but I think this one is good because all the stories are standalone. You don't. It's not like you're getting yeah. the first part of a story, so you can enjoy all of these as they are. The Leviathan story is fantastic, and you know the the artwork and the uh, psychedelic superhero one is great too. So highly, highly recommended as always. Um. Yeah, Kate. Uh, what else did you read this week? I read 34 volumes of Attack on Titan. (laughs) To be clear, since May. So this was not a a recent complete read. (laughs) But I I recently finished it. Nice. Um, This is by Hajime Asayama. Um, I started reading this the day that the K-Manga app went up, which I think was May 9th. And then I finished the last volume just recently on August 4th. So this was a multi-month read for me um and i feel like (laughs) i ran a marathon or maybe i read a marathon (laughs) 
And it was <laughs> it was similarly enjoyable. Like the beginning and the end was good, and that was about it. Um, okay. If you're sure. not familiar with Attack on Titan, it starts with uh, all of known humanity living inside of this, this giant walled city. And there are titans on the outside, which are these giants that eat people for no discernible reason. And there's a single small military force trained to fight them properly, which, as you can imagine, um, is not enough. And um, and there's I mean, it's 34 volumes. So, of course, there's more to what these titans are. And the biggest bad guy in the series is maybe not the titans. Like it gets kind of it goes kind of off the rails. <laughs> okay. Huh. And the covers for this series look like it was going to be all about fighting, which I'm really not into. But I gave it a chance because, like, I opened up this K-Manga app. I started figuring out how, like, the payment system worked back in May. And this was the first or maybe the second, like, free daily read. Um, and, it, and it gripped mm -hmm. me enough that I just, I just kept going. So um, there are a whole lot of characters in this book once you get into it. And then there's political intrigue. Um, and the, I think that the main reason I stuck around is because there are three main characters really um and their their arcs do last the entire series they are in at least one of them is in most of the chapters um so i kind of I, st I stuck around for them to find to find out what happens to them um characters in this book do like actually die like people get eaten so i was like maybe uh maybe these guys aren't gonna last uh, i have to read it um yeah. so there is much more to to than just fighting in the story like there's a lot of mystery okay. and and uh good character arcs and everything um and i i did enjoy this series quite a bit until around volume 20 <laughs> and then um again there's 34 volumes of attack on titan so um the story just got much bigger very very quickly like over the course sure. of like two chapters and i just i wanted it to to focus on those three main characters that's why i was reading it <laughs> and, um <laughs> But the the final volume did leave me in in tears, so it is like a cathartic okay. ending. Um, I still, hmm. you know, I still cared about the characters by the end. Um, and Isayama, the creator, does a really good job at doing like these full page or or full spread illustrations, which you can see a few of on the covers, like these colored versions of those same spreads. So like there are a, well, sometimes it gets bogged down in its own story. I, there hmm. are enough like wow moments in each volume that it's like it keeps me going. So um, I, I think I'm glad that I read Attack on Titan. Um, <laughs> but I is that the complete series? Yes, 34 volumes. Okay, there are like a couple of like offshoot series. Like there's like a prequel series, and there's like a, a Girls' Day Out series that I might read. Um, and there's like a an anthology from different creators where like they they're either in canon stories or they are like what if stories. And I got that mm. out from the library, but I haven't read it yet. Um, I so so yeah if you I mean if you like I mean long character arcs with like a whole lot going on I mean this is a good book but I I wouldn't necessarily recommend it if you're not if you're really not into fighty comics or political <laughs> intrigue um but yeah I finished it so nice yeah I mean I've heard of it but I had no idea what it was about so thanks for explaining it to me <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, yeah, I might read some of these offshoot series still. Like, I still, cool. I just, still like. Just these out characters. of curiosity, you said you're reading this on an app. Uh, what are you like reading these on your phone? I'm reading them. I've got like a little tablet. It's it's not okay that much bigger than my phone, <laughs> but it's, it's like <laughs> okay. the size of a book. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. So I, oh, nice. I, yeah, the K Manga app. It's Kadansha's app that they put out. 
uh, beginning of the summer. So, um, nice. although I've noticed that Hoopla is also carrying some manga now, it's it's a lot yes, of like Tokyo are. Pop. Oh. So that's very exciting. Comicsology Unlimited also has more and more manga now. Yeah. I'm really I I've been into manga for a while, but this is really take like taking me out. Like I'm finding some weird stuff. <laughs> nice. It's not not hard to st- find weird stuff in manga. Yeah. It's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, how about you, Paul? Did you read anything else this week? One last thing I wanted to mention because I think it's a really cool series I haven't talked about in the show. Um, there's a new sci-fi anthology series that Oni Press is putting out called Zeno uh, X I N O. And I read the second issue of that this week. It's really cool. Like again, I kind of just like when publishers are experimenting with anthology stuff, you know, because I've already talked about 2000 AD. That comic's been around for over 45 years, and like here's another like example of a publisher trying to do an anthology. Um, and it is very sci-fi themed. You know, every story is either set in an alternate universe or has it's almost like a Black Mirror kind of like vibe yeah. to it. Some of it, some of the stories. Uh, the second volume or second issue has a story from uh, David Maria Laffam, who did, you know, Dave Laffam did uh, Stray Bullets, like a famous indie series. Kind of cool to see mm-hmm. him do, um, you know, a color sci-fi type short story. Uh, there's another story by Alex Segura and Xander Cannon, which is kind of like this sci-fi, obviously sci-fi, but fancy, fancy story about a woman tracking down this powerful monster that destroyed her planet and coming to terms with that. There's a really great... Uh, story at the about um a man who works for a company and he died on the job and then he's brought back to life and then like he's going to the the uh owner of the company he's like well you know i did all this work should i get a raise he's like you want a raise we brought you back to life how dare you ask for a raise <laughs> isn't bring back to life enough <laughs> <laughs> right so kind of you know kind of a dark that's the very sort of a uh, um black mirror type story and that was written by hagel pavelski illustrated by carson thorne that's a fun little short story well quote unquote fun little short story yeah. um <laughs> but it's cool and like i like this stuff because i get to see artwork from artists i'm not familiar with there's a story about um an alien observing early you know humans cavemen uh and reporting back to their home world about it and stuff kind of get a sense of uh that was that chariot of the gods type story where like aliens helped develop humanity and stuff kind of a riff on that it's uh written by francois vigneault and illustrated by artyom trakinov and the artwork is incredible i never heard of this artist before so it's kind of cool to see stuff like that from an anthology it's one of the reasons i like buying these kind of comics i want to support anthologies i know they're usually not very successful especially in the u.s market yeah. so if you want some sci-fi stuff i think Zeno, cool series i'm assuming it's gonna be collected at some point but the second i think the third volume third issue's out soon so it's easy to catch up on if you're curious so that's what i read it does sound cool um that being said that's the comics that we read what about comics we're excited to read let's uh take a look at what's on the top of our pile let's go back to you kate lamb fear what's on the top of your pile for this week yeah, I actually heard about this comic on Instagram. Uh, so <laughs> it's been on okay. It's been okay. on my radar for a couple of months now. It's called and it's coming out on Wednesday, um, August eighth. Um, this is called Mother Nature. This is by the the actor Jamie Lee Curtis and the oh. artist. Oh, and and there's also an, a second writer, Russell Goldman, and then the art is by Carl Stevens. Um, and from what I can find, this was a screenplay first, which might explain how Jamie Lee Curtis got involved, but. I, I don't know. I haven't really read that much um, into this, uh, how this came about. Um, but there is a, a character who looks like Jamie Lee Curtis in the previews pages. So like she's definitely okay. like super involved with this. This isn't just a like a splash 
author line or something, you know? Um, yeah. In this comic, um, a, a teen girl's dad dies while working for an oil giant company. Um, she starts digging into his mysterious death and uncovers something nefarious. Um, and based on like the title, Mother Nature, and the villain being an oil giant, like I have a very strong suspicion that this is going to be like a commentary on climate change, um, which is largely like mm. I feel like that is supported by this trailer that i found on youtube for this you can just google okay. it or or go to youtube and find it mother nature um comic and but there's also like something supernatural going on in this book and then there's like some of the art is suggested suggestive of like horror comics like um in like an homage kind of way so there's just like hmm. there's a number of intriguing intriguing things happening yeah. with this book so i i can't <laughs> let this one slip by no, that sounds cool. I had not heard of this. I guess I'm not getting those targeted ads on yeah. Instagram. So, huh. surprisingly. Uh, what about you, Kate? What are you excited for this week? Um, I just picked up from my local library, um, Parachute Kids by Betty C. Tang. It's a middle grade OGN that came out last April. And it's a story about three siblings living on their own as undocumented new immigrants inspired by the author's own childhood as a parachute kid. So someone who knows what they're writing about, right? Mm. Um, and so it is fiction, but um, it mirrors their experiences to a degree. So um, three kids um, go to America for a vacation with their family and they have this fun vacation and then their parents are uh, like, oh, surprise, <laughs> we're going back to Taiwan and you guys aren't wow. and you need to <laughs> figure out uh, you know, going to school and learning the new language and making friends and running a household um, together because you're going to have a better life here kind of thing. And so it goes into kind of the conflict between the brother and sister who are the older two and um, the, their stress and loneliness, but also has um, humor and lighter moments and stuff. Um, it is middle grade, so it doesn't get, it's not like bleak. <laughs> um, but the kids kind of get tangled in a web of bad choices and tensions escalate. And that becomes the main conflict of like, can our main character, the sister, um, keep her family together and make this work, you know? And it mm -hmm. came highly recommended by my friend who's a middle school librarian. Uh, she's like, you have to read this. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I've been waiting for a while with that on hold and my time has come. Nice. 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 That's exciting. How about you, Paul? Um, well, on a very different topic. Well, before I get to my pick, we have uh, people hanging out with us, listening on Discord and uh, listening to the show right now. Danny is doing the proof listening for this episode, and he's excited for the Enfield Gang Massacre number one. So am I. That's a new comic from Chris Condon and uh, Jacob Phillips, the team behind That Texas Blood. It's an old Western story. Cannot wait for it. So thanks for reminding me that's coming out this week, Danny. And then Hugh is listening along with us. He's excited for Immortal X-Men number 14. I guess since Mike's not here, we have to have one obligatory X-Men reference. So there mm -hmm. we go. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Hugh. Um, as for my pick, uh, I'm excited because I just picked up from the shop uh, this past weekend, Werewolf Jones and Sons Deluxe Summer Fun Annual, <laughs> the, the latest uh, chapter of the ongoing Megan Mog series that we've, I know Mike's talked about, I think Tia's mentioned on the show. Uh, it's written by Simon Hanselman uh, and Josh Pettinger. I think it's the first time Hanselman has had someone else write stories for one of their comics, so it's kind of interesting to see another author involved. And it's apparently an homage to British comics, because I guess in Britain, publishers would 
put out like big uh, or, or hardcover anthology collections for the summer. So that's why it's the summer fun annual. Um, so it's an homage to that. But of course, if you're familiar with Werewolf Jones and his sons, um, there's going to be a lot of depravity. This is certainly not a comic for kids. Uh, Werewolf Jones is going to, you know, known for being a notorious drug user, uh, a terrible father, a sex addict, and basically the most terrible human being imaginable. Oh, and also werewolf, uh, and obviously implied by the name. So um, these comics are super fun. They're super crude. Uh, it's kind of a nice little escape uh, to have some of this kind of humor every now and again. I really like the Megan Mog stuff. So I'm excited. I was excited to see this in my box when I picked it up at the shop. So there we go. That's what I'm reading. We're going to take a quick break. and When we come back, we have a topic for this episode. We're going to be talking about some of our favorite nonfiction comics, specifically nonfiction comics that are dealing with war or conflict. So we got a whole list here. I have the perfect guest to talk about these kind of comics. So we'll be right back with that topic. Welcome back to the show. Uh, as I said, we have a very specific topic for today's episode. Uh, I know Kate, Kate and I all love to read uh, nonfiction comics, autobiographical type comics, nonfiction comics. And, you know, we were kind of thinking about a way to focus that instead of just talking about that in general. But we kind of realized there's a lot of them that we've uh, read over the years that kind of stuck with us that involved war or conflict. Uh, so maybe not the most uh, uplifting topic, but I think what's interesting is that Comics, specifically nonfiction comics or autobiographical comics, are a great way to tackle that type of story uh, yeah. because you're, I think, in a lot of ways, comics feel a lot more personal. If someone's writing about their own experience through conflict or someone's writing, a, you know, illustrating a story, it's more striking than just reading something on the page in text, I think. So that's kind of why I think these types of stories, maybe I gravitate toward these kind of nonfiction comics in general because I think they're a great way to tackle some difficult subjects, you know, that may not be mm -hmm. easy to. To articulate so we have a whole list here we each listed some of our favorites so i guess we'll just start somebody wants to jump in and mention one that uh, stuck out to them and why they why they picked it i mean i personally just went through the ones i read in the last couple of weeks i feel like <laughs> you can't talk about this topic without mentioning mouse um, by Art <laughs> Spiegelman, because that's like the quintessential example of this genre <laughs> yeah but yeah. at the same time uh after reading a bunch of new ones, I was not about to revisit Mouse. I was, I needed something <laughs> cheerful. That's a heavy read, yeah. Yeah, I feel like for me, part of what makes them so powerful is the combination of the art with the uh, story. And that mm -hmm. you don't, I also read nonfiction books, um, not infrequently. Mm -hmm. And that part is, I feel like why I get so much more of an emotional kick in the face from these. Um, because when you look at books like, um, like I read a bunch of Joe Sacco's books, like Palestine mm -hmm. and Footnotes in Gaza these past few weeks, and his art um, is often like what would be the big money shot for a conflict photojournalist, right? <laughs> like if they yeah. were there, it's the perfect composition and image to drive home what's happening. But of course, those photos, you know, for footnotes in Gaza, this is about some stuff that uh, war crimes that happened in the 50s. So in, in 1956. So those mm -hmm. photos don't exist. Um, and for Palestine, it's like, 
those photos, this was in 1991, 1992, those photos might exist, but he's going around talking to all these different people about the, just the day-to-day injustices. Like, um, I was sitting in my home and a bullet came through the wall and my shot got shot. And there's Mm -hmm. no photo photograph of that. And of them, of the two parents, both crouched over this dying boy. Right. But you get Mm -hmm. that image through the comic and that I feel like is, is what makes them so power, much more powerful to me than just if it were just writing. Um, Obviously, yeah. for both of those books, uh, big content warnings for like on-page gore, assault, war crimes, in horrible injustices. Like they are, I, I, I they think, are heavy reads. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we could have a blanket uh, content warning for all the books we're discussing. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, they're dealing with violence. Sometimes it's graphic. Sometimes they're self-harm. So th- I mean, obviously, yep. keep that in mind if you're checking these books out. So I'm glad you brought up the idea of journalism, though, because I think that's something that the idea of comic book journalism or graphic novel journalism, I think is more a relatively new idea, but again, I think it's, it really works in certain circumstances. Cause one of the books I thought of right away was rolling blackouts. Um, yeah. Dispatches from Turkey, Syria and Iraq by Sarah Glidden. And that really is a book that's about the refugee crisis as a result of the invasion of Iraq. But it, it's also a story or a, a book about how to cover how journalists can cover that story objectively. And it is objective journalism possible. So on one hand, it, it is a story about the results or consequences of violence and war, but it's also this meditation on like what ag- actually journalism is. And to have a cartoonist like Sarah Glidden, whose artwork is very looks very simple, but is actually like a great way to examine yeah. that because you know you're just reading the story because the artwork is very like, it's like uh, watercolor kind of colors and it's very simple line work. So you let your guard down a little bit almost and to have a very heavy subject and a very deep subject being discussed in that way really makes a book engaging. I think that's a tremendous book. I think I've mentioned on the show before. So that's a good example of this type of nonfiction journalism uh, way of explaining these issues. I feel like with Sarah Glidden's book, because it's simple and and occasionally in in her book, How to Understand Israel in 60 Days or Less, you actually get panels <laughs> where other people are like trying to talk to her while she's like journaling. And it kind of gives me the sense of like she was creating this panel at that moment because like because these are yeah. it's not like digital art like she didn't like sit down at a computer afterwards and like do these on the computer like she was potentially doing these while she was on the move and it kind of lends that kind yeah. of like in the moment feel to it mm-hmm. um joe sacco actually has a whole graphic novel uh called journalism and mm-hmm. i'm interested in reading it now that i've read yeah. all these i also read the fixer by him um this week which additional extra content warning for sexual assault in that one but um, which is about uh, an, one specific individual in Bosnia kind of during and after the Bosnian war. And he's works as a fixer and it's, it jumps her all over around, around in time. Um, but it's very much like self insert of um, Joe's relationship with this man and his growing understanding of who he is that changes pretty dramatically over time Mm -hmm. of him being this, you know, good guy to work with versus this like very unreliable narrator that made up 
basically half the stuff he told him or more Interesting. Um, about his experiences fighting in the war yeah. and how that is actually a pretty solid reflection of how so much of the information about the Bosnian conflict is because there was no single good authority on any of this. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, basically a bunch of warlords. <laughs> so um, it, it's interesting. And I think that's when you're talking about doing the art in the, um, at the same time, Joe Sacco very much because he's including himself also includes that he's always going around with a photographer who's taking pictures for him, who then he's using those as references for his art when he, you know, goes home and draws everything, gotcha. huh. That's cool. um, which I think is in, an interesting process, but also interesting that he puts the the uh photographer in the comic with him as he's sitting there yeah. interviewing people <laughs> he's sitting there with the translator and with the photo- photographer and stuff and um he's also snapping some of his own photos but kind of relying on someone else to do broad shots of like buildings and streets and stuff like that which yeah. um i appreciate getting that sense of how this was put together and also that included is that also the actual sources when he's talking about specific facts and stats and stuff like that, like X number of houses were demolished in this year. Um, All those sources are provided at the back, which I feel like gives more credence to the nonfiction journalism aspect of all of this, right? Of like, we're not just making stuff up. We're not just telling individual stories, Mm -hmm. but I... I haven't read anything about the Syrian conflict. The closest I read was Invisible Wounds, Interviews with American Vets, which is about um, veterans of Afghanistan and Iraq. Mm -hmm. And it's interviewing them all once they're done with their service. And serious content warning for suicide um, and addiction, as those are major issues facing veterans and do come up in this. But this is by Jess Rolfeson and basically is a series of these short interviews with these different people about what it was like being overseas and then when it was what happened when they came home and their experiences after the fact, Um, which, spoiler, (laughs) it's not cheerful. (laughs) Most of them do not go on to have great lives uh, because (laughs) war messes you up and our our uh, VA does not do a great job helping people with the mental health challenges and stuff like that. Yeah, right. But I, again, feel like the art showing these people talking in their experiences really creates a a better connection to them than I would if I was just reading stories, you know? Right. In terms of the Syrian conflict, I read um, Hakeem's Odyssey by Fabian Toulme, volume one, and then I read volume two recently, and there's going to be a volume three. And um, I read some of the rear matter in volume two about how Toulme, like he knows how big this this series is, but he didn't want to leave anything out because he's the book is about him interviewing um, a man named Hakim about his journey from um, to escape Syria and to find like finally find a place to settle down. Um, and he and Toulme didn't want to leave out any part of this journey because so much we hear about like the immigrant experience of this is where they left and this is where they ended up and it like kind of skips everything in the middle. Right. So um, so volume one was called From Syria to Turkey and it and it shows like Hakim's life was like he was professionally successful. He was a business owner. He had this big extended family, his parents, aunts and uncles, cousins. Um, and it was like their neighbors were family too, basically. Um, but once the conflict starts, it shows like all of these things getting destroyed and all of these people having to leave. Um, and eventually um, 
um, Hakeem does too. So then volume two is um, Turkey to Greece and it shows him um, like he's got, he's found a wife along the way and has a kid and like they get split up um, and it shows him actually like doing an ocean crossing in a raft. Um, so that was like, oh my God. Um, and then volume three is going to be um, from Macedonia to France. And then I think France is where they settle down because I'm pretty sure that that's where Tool May is interviewing him at. Um, so I think that that might be the last one. But this is like a huge, yeah, Hakim's Odyssey is the right title for this book because it's huge. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that kind of also reminds me of um, Persepolis by Marjane Satrapi. Which yeah. Is a, you know, again, oh, I love that series. It's such a good book. And it's, again, it's a way of, you know, for Marjane to like share her experience as being a young kid living through the Islamic revolution in Iran in the early eighties. But again, it's like you get a deeper understanding of what it's actually like on the ground and that stuff. You know what I mean? Cause the idea of that revolution or idea mm-hmm. of like a conflict, you know, it's almost abstract, but when you have a very focused sort of personal take on it, especially if it's an autobiographical memoir, like a Persepolis, it makes it feel you know, more real. It makes you appreciate or understand mm-hmm. the the sacrifices that, that people are going through. Because, I mean, that story is about, you know, her and her family moving from Iran, having to go to, uh, is it Austria that they end up in? Or, um, I don't remember. I remember exactly, sorry. Yeah. Um, and she discovers punk rock. So it's about, it's not just about the, the, the conflict in Iran. It's about her growing up as a person and how that shaped her experience and like wanting to rebel in her own way while this Islamic revolution is happening in, in Iran. So that's another, that kind of came to mind as another example of that, a very personal, you know, story. Have you guys read any about um, more recent conflicts? Like um, the, obviously some of these are ongoing, like the issues with Syria, but like I picked up one um, called 83 Days in Mariupol, a war diary that's about the first 83 days of the Ukraine war by Don Brown. Um, And I was surprised that something like this was out already. Uh, But also, I don't want to say I didn't like it because it is interesting, but like it's all instead of interviewing individual people, it's taken from news stories and you get the actual like titles of everything he drew from mm-hmm. in the back but he it feels very cobbled together because of that and i'm wondering if that's just like just pretty standard for the things that come out like really recent to these things mm-hmm. because it does feel very like cobbled together but that's because he's using direct quotes from people he never met right. um and they're being interviewed by different media sources to go through kind of what happens in the first 83 days in the city of Mariupol, hmm. which um, if you re- remember, it was the whole thing with people being um, barricaded in the steel plant and then it gets, you know, attacked right. and it was really, really ugly and all the content warnings Yeah, that's uh, for everything that goes horrible <laughs> in war zones. I mean, that is really interesting. I, I, I feel like to have that sort of immediate response to something that's so currently ongoing you know the the war in ukraine so that's pretty amazing you're able to get a comic out and have it i'm sure you know over the next few years we'll have more and more of those types of stories coming out from that um yeah that's interesting I it realize. almost feels like a different type of book mm-hmm. because of the recency i feel like the recency is important but at the same time it doesn't give you the depth and breadth that you get with these retrospective yeah. comics that come out after the fact mm-hmm. or when they get to people once they're in a safe area and are able to talk to them more or like 
Joe Sacco when he's writing about um, the Gaza Strip in 56. So he's just interviewing all these old people about that survived these atrocities is probably the right word, uh, just where people came in and got slaughtered in their village, you know, and I feel like it's the immediacy probably helps with accuracy, (laughs) but also detracts from the the kind of broader scope and feel uh, for it, you know? Yeah. Um, the, that immediacy is, is kind of fascinating to me, um, because you're reacting to it in real time in a way. And it makes me wonder if, because, you know, nowadays there's so much information, we can get immediate updates of what's happening in Ukraine via social media, you know, on Twitter, on, or sorry, X, you know, um, people were live streaming it on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah, It wouldn't talk about immediate. (laughs) And it's like, it's almost to the point where you're getting so much information, it's hard to parse it. So, you know, having someone step back and be able to kind of do a comic, you know, that's actually takes more time than just, you know, making a video and posting it. So you're almost getting a more... Mm I don't want to say more realistic or, or a, 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 a curated look at something versus just getting a dump of information. Yeah. So the a book that more recently came out that I kind of thought of, it's not about any specific conflict, um, but it's Save It For Later uh, by Nate Powell. Uh, the full title, Save It For Later, Promises, Protests, and Parenthood. Uh, Nate Powell is the artist who worked with John Lewis on the March books. So you've probably seen his artwork wow. before. Oh, okay. Um, and he's done, he does a lot of sort of like almost like comic essays about contemporary politics in America. He's done, um, and that's what this book is, it's a collection of short, essentially graphic essays about protests, the necessary uh, need for protests in this day and age. You know, he takes his daughter to um, these like uh, the pro-women marches that were happening right after the 2016 election. Um, he's kind of teaching his child, here's the proper way to respond to these things. You can't just sit back. You have to do something. We can protest. That's what we're here to do. It also deals, you know, he's writing this book during the um, uh, pandemic. So that becomes part of it too. So it's a very immediate sort of stuff. And even though it's not about any specific one conflict, it's a very deep dive into the the roots of contemporary politics in America and why they're so divisive right now. And it's, it's amazing to see someone be able to do that visually in a comic. You know what I mean? So um, he did another book called Any Empire, which also stood out to me, which is basically a, an examination of how G.I. Joe infiltrated um, uh, America's, you know, young boys at the time and kind of trained them to be soldiers. The idea of like the the sort of where, um, not, I don't say brainwashing, but just, you know, the idea of how that type of idea of conflict became permeated pop culture in the early 80s. And if you're a young kid playing with G.I. Joe's, like that becomes all you know and understand. So that was a really another example of not a specific conflict, but a way of examining the roots of violence in a visual graphic, you know, storytelling. Oh, that sounds really interesting. I'm adding that one to my TBR. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everything I've read by Nate Powell is great. So again, it's 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 journalistic, it's uh, essays, you know, it's opinion, but done graphically. Great stuff. And uh, I also want to like mention a book. I know it's on your list, Kate uh, Lamphere. We got to talk about Kent State by yeah. Jeff Backdurf. Because you want to talk about a book that's deeply, deeply researched. That is, it's it's an overwhelming book because of the subject matter, the, the uh, massacre at Kent State in 1970. But it's also, or 71, right? 70. Um, and it's also just so deeply researched that it's like, it feels like you're actually living the experience as it's happening. Yeah. You know? I like how in, in Kent State, you're you're largely following the stories of like students who were involved, or at least on campus during the protest or the, the shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't really know who the characters are who are going to be the ones who get shot. Um 
until mm-hmm. it happens but then you go back and you like you see how how well Bacter like tells their stories and why they were on campus that day and how not all of them were even involved in the protest but they got killed mm-hmm. and it he just really made like the entire experience um real like he he really narrowed in on individual experiences from people and from like people mm-hmm. from like different with different perspectives there is there is even one or two people like who are part of the police um and you can see like how the police were reacting at the time and like the the doubts that they had about what was going on questioning things and then backdurf also drops in like the political influences of like the local Mm -hmm. um like the mayor and the governor um and the police chiefs how there were like multiple different police um um, groups that weren't really communicating with one another and like how it was just like uh, chaos um, and he did such a good job at like breaking down the pieces of what contributed to this yeah I mean because it's more than just that one day I mean yeah. several days leading up to it you get to, and so when you're familiar with what happened at Kent State but again it feels abstract because it feels like it was a long time ago and you just know the statistics to actually have that sort of personal connection right and when it unfolds that last few pages where actually it is happening it's it's kind of chilling because yeah. again, it's something that you know happened and you've, I've seen, you know, the photographs of it to have it illustrated in a way and Durf, back Durf's artwork, it looks very sort of like simple and kind of cartoony, you know? Uh, yeah. But, Especially the faces. <laughs> I can't get into the, the yeah, faces, yeah. but his, his settings and, <laughs> and his fashions, the 1970s fashions that he like put the time into, yeah. those were really good. Yeah. It's almost like it's jarring because it is such a serious, obviously violent moment. And it's jarring to see that illustrated that way. It's the same thing. You know, he also did the uh, My Friend Dahmer, which is yeah. kind of a similar thing where it's like it's such a dark subject matter illustrated in this way with tons of back material that all the research he did when it put into it. So he's not taking these things lightly. He spent years interviewing Kent State survivors and the people involved just to get the full story out there. It's a tr- tremendous book. And again, not a light subject to read. It, it's kind right. of a, a tough book at times, uh, especially with, you know, police violence and you know and um shootings but it yeah i think it's a I think it's a remarkable book uh one last book i wanted to mention on my list uh kind of like a very personal take on on war and violence is onwards towards our noble deaths by shigeru mizuki uh this is a manga that was originally published back in 1973 it was uh, translated and published in uh America, I think in 2009 or so. Um, and shigeru mizuki is sort of famous for making the um yokai stories and manga popular in japan and he's one of the very early sort of big manga artists uh after world war ii and he served in world war ii in the japanese army and this is his personal experience what happened he was part of a group of soldiers that were basically sent on a kamikaze mission um and they survived like they didn't die but they had already it already been reported to the empire and to the media in japan that they had sacrificed for the glory of the empire you know so they basically send them back out and like, hey, go back out there and don't come back. They basically force them wow. to go on a kamikaze mission. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty heavy book, obviously. Uh, all the content warnings. There's, But it's interesting because Mizuki doesn't really, he just tells it very factually. You know, I mean, it's not like this is what I went through and yeah, it was wrong, but like that was that's what I experienced. You know, it is very sort of yeah. even keel, like very open. You know, it's, it's not flattering. It is not showing, you know, this glorious, you know, uh, sacrifice that these soldiers made. It's just the reality of being in uh, the Japanese army at that time. Um, so yeah, it's a tremendous book. And Mizuki's artwork is really interesting because 
the actual like characters are drawn in a very sort of cartoony old manga style, but the backgrounds that they're uh, in uh, are all beautifully illustrated. It's these lush pictures of the 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 jungle that they're in, you know, and and also the stark violence that they're experiencing. It's all beautifully illustrated. Meanwhile, the characters themselves are very sort of cartoony and bumbling most of the time. Mizuki does, uh, you know, show the leaders of the group uh, in pretty bad light, obviously, since they're the ones making these terrible decisions. But yeah. in terms of a uh, graphic, you know, autobiographical story about war, it's one of the best ones I've read. So it, it's a pretty famous one. Any other uh, recommendations here for the uh, for the crew? I'm nearly certain that as soon as we sign off, I'll think of like four more. But I feel like <laughs> this course, has yeah. been a pretty good sampling of like what journalism can do in comics. Um, and hopefully we've encouraged some of our listeners to pick some of these up. Um, I know that I will yeah. probably pick up some of the ones that you guys mentioned. So I know. I yeah, my, my tweet was just got that, a lot longer. <laughs> I will throw out there that um, a lot of these are also on Hoopla if you yeah. uh, partake of the digital comics that a lot of Joe Sacco and I know Invisible Wounds is also on Hoopla, even if you're your local library, because they are very expensive to pick up. A lot of mm-hmm. these are OGNs that are quite beefy, right. so they are yeah. uh, not not a low buy-in cost. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's, thanks for reminding me of the Joe Sacco stuff, Kate, because that's a name I've known for years, but I've never really seen. I've read a few pages here and there, but yeah. actually I have to go pick up these books. I think I've seen them all at the library. So yeah, same. Yeah. That's next on my list. He tour is giving um, academic talks at universities oh. about, about comics and how co- specifically using comics as a form of journalism. <laughs> um, and so that was when I first heard of him was when he came and spoke at U of M, uh, which U of M has a talk series that is open to the public. And I was visiting my aunt and uncle and listened to this and I had never heard of this guy before and what he did, but it was, it was completely fascinating. Nice. Um, yeah. And also just like, I will never understand any of the journalists or journalists adjacent people that spend their lives going into active war zones. That is just <laughs> terrifying to me. Like yeah. you, you guys are crazy, but uh, I'm glad someone does it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that's the, the theme here for this topic is, you know, I think the dedication it takes to not only do the research and put yourself in danger at times or to just, yeah. you know, reflect personally on your own experiences in an open and honest way and put it out there in a comic is something really special. And I, again, I think that's why, for the most part, these types of graphic, uh, graphic novels work better for this material than just to read it on a page. I think you get a more personal take on that stuff. So yeah, we got a whole list here. I'm sure the listeners might have recommendations for us. So, and we might have to do a follow-up where we, you know, cause after we end this episode, we'll think of more. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> part two. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. I'm glad, hopefully, uh, you know, we've uh, enlightened some people, encouraged them to maybe step outside and their comfort zone, try these kind of comics. There's oh, no shortage of good ones out there as, as we've discussed. So uh, thanks again for uh, the recommendations next week. Uh, Mike will be back finally with Tia and a mystery guest. We'll see. Who knows? Um, until then, you can check us out on Instagram, threads, TikTok, Discord, Goodreads, and YouTube, all at IRCB Podcast. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash IRCB Podcast. Bonus audio up there all the time, so go check that out. Infinity Shred is the best band in the known universe, and they do all the music for all of our shows. Xander is your buddy, your pal, and every member of your family. I want to say thank you to Kate and Kate uh, for joining me again. Thank you to Mike for letting me keep the host chair warm this week. Thank you to Danny for doing the proof listening, and thank you for listening. Until next time, comics are good, 
and so are you. 